Can you name one of the earliest documented medical diagnoses in human history? Here are a few hints. It can affect the young and old. It is often associated with systemic inflammatory diseases, and the last 20 years have seen significant improvements in its treatment. If you guessed arthritis, then you'd be right. Arthritis has been around for millennia, with evidence of its occurrence in dinosaurs and early humans. This clinical problem was even documented by the ancient Egyptians. Hippocrates was also infatuated by this problem, which he and other early scholars attributed to rheumatismus, from the Latin word rheum, or flux. They ultimately felt that arthritis was a result of bad humors entering the joints. Fast forward to the present day. You are in the emergency department evaluating a patient with a red, hot, swollen right knee. You tap the joint and obtain yellow-tinged synovial fluid. Though the fluid you collected isn't quite the result of bad humors, it is key to the diagnosis. Today, our patient has acute monoarthritis, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled Acute Monoarthritis, A Hot Mess. There are various types of joints in our body, the most common being the synovial joint. This joint is made of two articulating bones surrounded by a joint capsule. The inner portion of the capsule is lined by the synovial membrane, which produces synovial fluid. This fluid contains numerous complex proteins which help lubricate the joint. Cartilage also lines the area where the two bones make contact, helping to promote smooth movement of the joint. Monoarthritis can be inflammatory or non-inflammatory. We will focus on the most common inflammatory causes, infection, crystals, seronegative spondyloarthritides, and hemarthrosis. Non-inflammatory causes include osteoarthritis and traumatic injuries such as fractures. Septic arthritis occurs when microorganisms enter the joint either by hematogenous spread or through direct inoculation. Hematogenous spread usually occurs when there is a preceding infection elsewhere in the body that then enters the bloodstream and travels to the joint. Direct inoculation is less common, but often occurs after invasive procedures or trauma. More than 90% of septic arthritis is caused by staphylococcal or streptococcal species with Staphylococcus auris being the single most common bacteria. Consideration for less common organisms should be given in specific cases. For example, those who are immunocompromised are at an increased risk of gram-negative organisms, tuberculosis, and fungal infections. Sexually active adults may be infected with Neisseria gonorrhea. There are three major forms of crystalline arthropathies relevant to our discussion. Gout, the most common of these, has already been discussed in a previous podcast titled The Disease of Kings. Be sure to check it out. Calcium pyrophosphate dihydrate deposition disease, also called pseudogout or CPPD, occurs when calcium pyrophosphate crystals are deposited in the joint cartilage and trigger an inflammatory response. This can result in the release of proteases, which cause cartilage breakdown and severe joint damage. Lastly, Calcium hydroxyapatite crystals can accumulate in the joint structures and cause acute hydroxyapatite arthropathy. 
This is a rare type of crystal disease, and not much is known about its pathophysiology. Seronegative spondyloarthritides refers to a collection of autoimmune diseases, including enteropathic arthritis, reactive arthritis, and psoriatic arthritis. These diseases usually present with an oligo or polyarthritis, but can also cause monoarthritis. Enteropathic arthritis occurs in the context of inflammatory bowel disease, and its pathophysiology isn't clearly understood. Reactive arthritis manifests when microorganisms from a genitourinary or gastrointestinal trigger an abnormal immune response leading to destruction of the synovium. Chlamydia species are the most common cause, followed by Salmonella, Campylobacter, Shigella, and Yersinia. Psoriatic arthritis is thought to be due to an aberrant innate immune response to an unknown environmental trigger that results in inflammation in the skin and joints. Hemarthrosis refers to an accumulation of blood in the joint space, which triggers an inflammatory response, releasing enzymes that can destroy the cartilage. This occurs in the context of trauma, bleeding disorders, or anticoagulation. Since the diagnosis of acute monoarthritis is actually quite broad, developing a systematic approach to the history and physical examination can go a long way. First, establish that this is a monoarthritis. Involvement of other joints will lead you towards alternate diagnoses based on the total number of affected joints. Some patients may not recognize other joint involvement, so your physical examination will be complementary to this goal. For example, inquiring about whether this is asked before or has occurred in other joints may suggest recurrent episodes of crystal-induced disease. Next, it is important to establish a timeline. A monoarthritis is considered to be acute if the onset of symptoms is less than six weeks. An abrupt onset of symptoms is suggestive of an infectious etiology or crystal-induced arthritis, while a more insidious onset may occur with seronegative spondyloarthritides or even hemarthrosis. The remainder of the history should focus on patient demographics, comorbidities, and risk factors that will lead you even closer to the diagnosis. The patient's age and gender are important demographic characteristics. For example, gout tends to be present in older men or postmenopausal women. This is a contrast to disseminated gonococcal infection, which should be suspected in any person presenting with an acute monoarthritis and associated STI symptoms or risk factors. Any comorbidities predisposing individuals to joint damage, such as rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis, should be identified, as these increase the risk of septic arthritis. Patients with joint prostheses are also at an increased risk of joint infections. Immunocompromised patients are at risk of septic arthritis either due to their disease or immunosuppressive therapies. These include elderly patients, patients with diabetes, HIV, and systemic autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Thus, it is important to obtain an up-to-date medical history and list of medications. Other important medications of concern are hydrochlorothiazide, which may predispose patients to gout, and anticoagulants, which predispose patients to hemarthrosis. And finally, additional risk factors not yet mentioned are IV drug use, recent joint aspiration or procedure and trauma, which may lead you towards a septic joint or hemarthrosis. Alcohol use, chronic kidney disease, and excessive red meat consumption can lead to gout. Keep in mind that an acute monoarthritis may be the first manifestation of systemic disease, 
So your functional inquiry should include a full connective tissue review of symptoms, including constitutional symptoms. Ask about infectious signs or symptoms to identify potential origins of a septic joint. Any preceding acute onset genitourinary or gastrointestinal symptoms, such as diarrhea, may be suggestive of reactive arthritis. Inflammatory back pain, psoriasis, and symptoms of inflammatory bowel disease can occur in seronegative spondyloarthropathies, along with oral ulcers, uveitis, and enthesitis. Next is the physical examination. Remember, just because someone tells you that they have joint pain does not mean that their pain is actually coming from their joint. The primary objective of your physical examination is to ensure that there is in fact a single inflamed joint. Examination of the joints will not be discussed in details here. However, we will emphasize five general principles. Number one, establish that this is an acute monoarthritis by ensuring that the joint is the etiology of their symptoms and that no other joints are involved. To differentiate between articular and periarticular disease, one must have a good understanding of relevant anatomy. Think about surrounding structures which may contribute to pain around the joint. For example, pain around the knee can be caused by ligaments, tendons, bursa, and, of course, the joint itself. A quick screen of other joints, particularly above and below the affected joint, may identify a predisposing abnormality as the etiology of their concerns or other affected joints. Number two, inspect the joint for loss of normal contours, which may suggest the presence of an effusion, and feel along the joint space for tenderness and swelling. A thickened synovial membrane may feel spongy or boggy. A red, hot, tender, and swollen joint is infected until proven otherwise. Tenderness at the insertion sites of ligaments or tendons is called enthesitis, which is a common feature of spondyloarthritis. Number three, ask the patient to move the joint actively, then move the joint yourself passively. Limitations of movement with active and passive movement are consistent with intraarticular processes while limitations overcome by passive movement suggest an extra-articular cause of the pain. Number four, do not forget to inspect for abnormalities outside the joint. Look for skin and soft tissue infections in the context of suspected septic arthritis. Examine the ears and elbows for tophi, which can present in gout. Spondyloarthropathies are associated with uveitis, back pain and loss of spinal mobility, psoriasis, and pyoderma gangrenosa, which present as necrotic skin ulcers that typically occur in the lower extremities. Patients may report swollen digits in their hands and feet, also known as dactylitis or sausage digit. Number four, don't forget about your special tests. For example, the patellar tap and sweep tests cannot only confirm the presence of an effusion, but can also give you an idea of the size of the effusion you are presented with to further guide your investigations. For a more detailed approach to the physical examination, refer to our website, which has a blog post on acute monoarthritis and further resources. Once you have completed your initial assessment, it is time to select investigations. Routine studies should include a CBC to rule out any leukocytosis suggestive of an infectious or inflammatory etiology. A C-reactive protein, or CRP, is an acute phase reactant, which may be elevated in such cases as well. 
A CRP is typically two to 10 times higher than normal level in rheumatologic conditions, but a CRP over 100 milligrams per liter may be concerning for an infectious cause of the presenting symptoms. Electrolytes, creatinine, and liver function tests are good screening tests to rule out any and organ disease prior to the initiation of therapies. Blood culture should be ordered if you are concerned for septic arthritis, as this may be the only evidence of infection due to limited specificity associated with synovial fluid cultures. If there are concerns about disseminated gonococcal infection or preceding chlamydial infection, urine studies and swabs of all potential routes of transmission should be obtained. X-ray images are useful to rule out trauma and chondrocalcinosis associated with CPPD or pseudogout and may potentially identify an erosive disease process. Finally, if the joint can be tapped, tap it. Synovial fluid analysis is the most important piece of the puzzle. Arthrocentesis can generally be performed by most physicians presented with a large knee effusion. Do not hesitate to obtain further expertise for more difficult joints, such as the ankle and wrist by rheumatology, orthopedic surgery, plastic surgery, or interventional radiology. Aspirated fluids should be sent for the three C's, cell count with differential, culture and gram stain, and crystals. Normal synovial fluid tends to be transparent, with a cell count less than 200 WBCs per millimeters cubed and less than 25% polymorphonuclear sites, a negative gram stain in culture, and no crystals. Inflammatory fluid tends to be yellow, white or opaque, with a cell count greater than 2,000, but less than 20,000, with more than 25% polymorphonuclear sites, and no microorganisms identified on gram stain or culture. In some cases, cell counts can be as high as 50,000. Crystals may or may not be present. A septic joint may have fluid that is yellow to white in appearance, with a cell count greater than 50,000 and more than 70% polymorphonuclear sites. A traumatic tap can result in blood-tinged fluid, or the fluid may initially be clear, then turn bloody. A homogeneously bloody tap occurs in hemarthrosis. The remainder of synovial fluid analysis is variable in that setting. There are two pitfalls to keep in mind. Number one, crystals do not rule out a septic joint, as both can coexist. Missing a septic joint can result in significant morbidity or even mortality. Thus, a joint is septic until proven otherwise. Number two, synovial fluid cultures and gram stains can be normal in patients with septic joints or disseminated gonococcal infections, as immune complex deposition can cause the joint inflammation. Thus, it is important to obtain samples from blood or other potential avenues of transmission to ensure that you do not overlook an important diagnosis. A septic joint is the most important diagnosis to rule out in acute monoarthritis, so it will be our focus on management. Empiric antibiotic therapy should be started immediately after appropriate synovial fluid and blood cultures are drawn. In patients without risk factors for less common organisms who have either native or prosthetic joints, ceftriaxone and vancomycin IV are usually first line. As always, antibiotic therapy should be narrowed once cultures are returned or changed to a more appropriate choice if empiric therapy does not provide adequate coverage. Consider consulting infectious disease for more complex patients such as those with HIV or immunosuppression. 
Immunosuppressive medications may also need to be stopped, but should never be done without consulting the managing service, particularly in patients with organ transplantation. Orthopedics or plastic surgery should be consulted for consideration of joint debridement or potential removement of joint hardware. IV antibiotics are usually continued for two weeks, followed by four weeks of oral therapy. Adequate treatment response is determined by resolution of symptoms and normalization of inflammatory markers like CRP. Crystalline arthritis can be treated with intraarticular or systemic therapies. Intraarticular glucocorticoid injections should be given in an acute monoarthritis once septic arthritis has been ruled out. Consider systemic therapy for polyarthritis or if a joint cannot be injected. Seronegative spondyloarthritidae should be treated with NSAIDs at full doses for 2 to 3 weeks or intraarticular steroid injections. If the patient has severe disease and cannot tolerate NSAIDs, systemic glucocorticoids can be used. Referral to a rheumatologist for further follow-up and management would be appropriate. Hemarthrosis is treated with repeated synovial fluid drainage in order to remove the blood triggering inflammation. Intraarticular steroid injections can also be used. It's important to consider stopping any oral anticoagulants and potentially consulting hematology if a bleeding disorder is suspected. Now for our medicine minute. Rheumatology is known for its serologic tests, so you might be asking yourself, what about testing for ANA, rheumatoid factor, or HLA-B27? You are correct that some of the seropositive conditions may present as acute monoarthritis, particularly early on in the disease. Unfortunately, these tests are not helpful unless they fit the broader clinical presentation, as false positives are prevalent and lead to confusion and uncertainty. This issue is so important that Choosing Wisely Canada devoted two of its five recommendations to promoting the appropriate use of serologic tests. The first recommendation is don't order ANA as a screening test in patients without specific signs or symptoms of systemic lupus erythematis or another connective tissue disease. The second recommendation is don't order an HLA-B27 unless spondyloarthritis is suspected based on specific signs or symptoms. Bottom line, do get excited about rheumatology, but don't get too excited about sending off serologic tests before you establish an already convincing clinical presentation. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Acute Monoarthritis, A Hot Mess. This episode was written by Teresa Samalulu, internal medicine resident, and Deborah Koh, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Mark Matsos, rheumatologist, and Dr. John Neary, general internist. The Internetwork series was created by Allison Lai, developed by Leah Karanopoulos and Zara Morali, and overseen by Dr. Daniel Brant Vegas. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman Zavantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts.